yogis welcome back to another episode of uh, run yogi diaries this is your host santosh shiva i hope you had a wonderful week and you also got some time to play swim bike run whatever is your thing every week i bring you conversations with people who are on a journey of well-being and endurance i hope they spark some possibility in you leave you with some tips and perhaps some inspiration to perspire in the house today is Colin Turner a runner who discovered his passion for running after a hiatus of many years and figured he had to reinvent his approach to sustain it he also then took that learning into his coaching journey where he helps others become better runners we get behind the scenes and dig into some key concepts such as cadence and power as a way to improve running performance let's dig in hey colin Welcome to Run Yogi Diaries. Thank you for having me, Santosh. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. And uh, uh, got to uh, we got to kind of meet each other virtually on uh, LinkedIn, and uh, we uh, found that we have a lot of common interests. Your mission on uh, in the area of fitness and running is very similar to what my mission is through this podcast. And um, and I found what what you do through your coaching. fascinating your your personal values about running very uh, resonated with me so i thought hey you know this is a great conversation to have so before we jump into the hows and you know the weeds of your journey maybe can i request you to make a quick personal introduction and then we'll jump in sure sure my name is colin turner and uh professionally i am an educator actually i've been mm-hmm. a teach certified teacher and educator for 12 years and I live in Boston with my wife and two young kids they're 6 and 8 uh and live in the city of Boston in Jamaica Plain and I've been a runner since high school uh great so uh hey so you know I think um we'd love to get into a background of your own personal running in terms of how it started uh your own view on fitness and Maybe we should jump in and do a bit of a flashback. How did it all get started for you? Sure. Well, when I was in middle school, I tried out a couple of different sports. I was in soccer. Um I played a little bit of basketball in, you know, 6th, 7th, 8th grade. And then in high school, I wanted to be a soccer player. I loved soccer. I wanted to play, but I decided to try track to get faster for soccer. So I went out for the track team in the off season, and I just fell in love with the atmosphere. It was a completely different culture. on the track team where uh instead of the freshmen getting hazed like they did on the soccer team where the freshmen had to carry all the bags and oh we let the freshmen get it and there was all kinds of negativity and and you know bullying of the freshmen mm. on the track team it was the opposite oh no he's a freshman help him oh oh he's a freshman show him our routine show him oh. you would go next to him the senior would go, come next to me and show me the warm up that everybody did cuz we always did the same warm up every time and uh it was like being welcomed and finding a community that I belonged in so that fall I went into cross country instead of soccer and loved that too uh I started out pretty slow and the coach said uh he looked at my body and my frame I'm now 62 and you know thin he said uh you're a mid distance runner you're going to run the 800 and the 400 It's like, okay, I didn't know any better and started me out running those two. I was at the back of the pack and slow. He said, "Don't worry. 
by the end, you're going to be one of the fastest uh, 800 meter runners in the state. It's like, oh yeah, right, coach, whatever. <laughs> All right. I kept training, kept training, listened to what he said, did the hills and did the runs in the winter and ran through the summer. And after four years with a relay, we were the fastest four by eight indoor relay in the state of Ohio. And we went to nationals in Washington, D.C. that year uh, and represented Ohio in the four by eight, which was a huge honor. Uh, and and again, it was the atmosphere of that team. Those three other guys that I went with, I still am in touch with. And they're just incredible people. And that coach is is an inspiration for me even now. I think back to and I've stayed in touch with him uh, today. So that was wow. my journey. And then, you know, I ran in college, had a great college career in Division Three. really enjoyed getting to run and be part of a team and was a team captain senior year, just loved it. Then, you know, I left college and things happen. Have kids, I have a job. I realize I have to cook and clean and to go to the grocery store and all those things I didn't have to do in college. And I fell off running, you know, got, I'd run a couple of times a week, maybe once a week uh, through my 20s. And then at some point in my early 30s, I said, you know, I want to get in shape again. I'm starting to get older. Oh, I, I hit 30 and that kind of freaked me out. And I said, you know what? I want to run a marathon. I've always wanted to. I want to get in shape and run again. So I start running. And of course, I take all of the things I knew from college and I think of my body as if I'm still 20. And I go out and run. And I think, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm not as fast as I was then. So instead of running at seven minute mile pace for my easy pace, I'll run at eight minute mile pace for my easy pace. And instead of running eight miles for a normal easy day, I'll just do five. So with little training and not much base, I just went out and ran, you know, five miles at eight minute pace thinking, no problem. Soon, soon enough, I was injured. I strained a calf muscle, got tendonitis in my hip. I started to have knee pain. All kinds of things started happening. And, you know, I would do what most people do. I'd stop for a while, quit running, go to physical therapy, do the exercises, not run for a few weeks and then try again. And then maybe I'd say, oh, only four miles this time at eight and a half minute pace. And all I would do is tweak one thing and think that that would fix it all. It didn't. It would be another couple of months and I'd get hurt again and I'd be out for a month or two doing physical therapy. And after a couple of years of this, finally it sunk in. <laughs> this is not working and this is how it's going to go for through the rest and of what, my what year, what year are we talking about timeline wise yeah this uh, was like when was this this was like 2013 14 that i started trying again to really run um so about 2015 i had this epiphany like oh my god i'm going to keep doing this until i'm 50 and i'm past the prime of my running career and i've spent years and years just being injured or recovering from injury so I decided to just throw everything out, toss out like everything, stop. like toss like out, stop or? no, toss out what I thought I knew about running, like throw away my assumptions. So, um, when you restarted, right. Mm -hmm. In 2013, uh, this was like after a gap of how many years since you ran in college? 
Um, I had probably been not not training actively for four or five years. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and was that was there like a a moment something that triggered that got you to say, "Hey, I need to get back to running," or it was just a what what triggered it? I think it was a combination, a couple of things. It was turning thirty and seeing the the numbers roll over to three zero. And it was watching the Boston Marathon because that was okay. around that time was the year of the marathon bombing. And it was around the time uh, that, you know, I, I was living in Boston and started watching it in person and had seen it for a few years. I moved to Boston from Cleveland, Ohio, where I went to school and okay. grew up. Um, and being here in Boston around the culture and the excitement of the marathon was incredible. So I think it was a few of those things that came together. And, you know, people would ask me, college friends would go like, hey, you still running? Because they knew that that was a big part of who I was in my identity. And I would always kind of say, oh, no, not really. Uh, you know, once a week. Yeah, yeah. One's a runner, always a runner. Yeah, yep. Could could I could not uh, escape I couldn't escape it, and I just wanted to go back. I missed it. Terrific. So coming back, you started. You you seem to have started with a lot of enthusiasm, having probably uh, not not realizing that there was a gap, and maybe you you know I wouldn't say you've necessarily gotten older. Thirty is not old by any by any any standards anymore. Uh, Thirty is the new twenty nowadays, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, you have folks who are running great sub three marathons at the age of 70. So, oh, yeah. so I wouldn't say 30 is old. I guess you were on a break and maybe out of out of shape. And and then you came mm-hmm. back and you started running like as if, you know, there was no break. And you started realizing that your body was kind of uh, not necessarily agreeing with you. Um, so then what what did you do? Uh, how did you kind of uh, reinvent the whole uh, yourself in that in that process? Yeah. Well, I had, I realized I had to stop thinking with reference to the past, with reference to my college self. And I had to start thinking like a 30, 31 year old who was deconditioned, basically starting over from running and figure out what, like, what is the body that I'm in now and learn what's going on with my body right now. So I started going to experts and I started reading a ton. So I went to a chiropractor who works with, she's a specialist in sports chiropractic. She works with Patriots. She works with the BU rowing team. She's like, she's the real deal. And I said, I keep getting hurt. What's going on with my body? And she said, she, you know, looked around and she did some checking and she said, oh, where are your glute medius? I was like, what? Where's my what? She's like, where is your glute medius? You don't have one. <laughs> and at the time, I didn't know what that was. It's this vitally important stabilizing muscle on the outside of our hips uh, next to the glute maximus, which we all know about. Mm-hmm. But the glute medius mm-hmm. uh, controls the movement of your legs in a lateral direction, like to the outsides. And they're really important to stabilize our knees and our, our whole leg and hip structure while we run. She said, yours have atrophied to the point I can hardly feel them. And what's happening is uh, other muscles around it are being recruited to do their job and they're not designed to do that. 
So as long as those are weak and inactive, you won't be able to run more than however much you're running now or less. And that was only 10, 15 miles a week, if that. So I figured out how to strengthen those. I started getting in the gym. She pointed out other imbalances. She said, your left leg is much weaker than your right. Who knows why? But you're going to need to focus on that left leg. So I went to work on the left leg. And then it was form. And I went and researched biomechanics and efficiency and ideal running form and started doing drills and plyometrics and practicing that. And I started over with pace. I said, okay, who cares what I used to run? I'm going to humble myself a bit and start at 10 and a half minute pace and go two miles. And that's going to be my easy day. And I'll do that three times a week and then maybe add a mile and then maybe down to 10, 15. So I really started from the floor and started building something. And that was about 2014, 15. And after about a year of that, I went and ran a half marathon, got hurt running it because <laughs> the I always want to do just over what my body's ready for. So I, in 2016, I ran the BAA half marathon, um, finished in, you know, uh, finished in a time that wasn't terrible, but blew up my left calf, uh, nearly strained it. I had hip tendonitis. I had to take a month, six weeks off after that race. Hmm. And regrouped and did more strength training, did more of the plyometrics, got in the gym, re reworked my form, uh, started over with shoes. That was another thing. I thought I knew which shoes I liked from college, mm -hmm. but I started mm -hmm. going, okay, but I don't know anything. Why don't I try out different shoes I've never run in? So I tried out five, six different pairs, different brands, and rediscovered which shoes actually work for me. So it was everything. The key is that yeah. the key is that you never gave up. That's the best part, right? Mm. Uh, you, it, you you could you could have easily said, "Screw this, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay." I go I go play golf or something. You know why 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 uh, mm. go through this suffering? Uh, but but, but see, you know, it seemed like you didn't give up. So what no. what made you not give up? Yeah, I think I think you'll relate to this. Every once in a while, I would just have a really good run, you know, mm. where I'd feel great. The weather would be perfect. I'd go out and just feel like floating and flying and would go like, yeah, that's it. That's how I want it to feel every time. And that's how I want it to feel for 10 miles and 15 miles and 20 miles. So it would be just one of those every couple of months. That's that's what would keep me going. Yeah. That's the runner's high that that we, we at least colloquially say, right? Mm -hmm. it's, the, it's that feeling of uh, emotional high or combined with physical high, high and, <laughs> uh, you always want to get back to that, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I um, like going fast. Mm -hmm. So I want to go fast. <laughs> Good. So <laughs> you got back, you, you did, uh, you got back and calibrated further on, on your physical fitness. But um, also in terms of mental fitness, right? Was there anything in that sphere that you you were also kind of exploring uh, in terms? Because you are someone mm. who wants to go fast, and going fast, I think may not just be physical. There's also a mental element, right? Uh, so were, were you also kind of toying around with those? 
I definitely had to learn to be patient and in some ways slow down and earn the speed that I really wanted. So, you know, instead of doing, I was used to in college, again, reference to my past, I would do, we would do hard speed work twice a week. And that was just normal. And one and a long run every week. So three days a week, we were doing a hard effort and then recovering in between with a normal run, which for us was six to eight miles at seven, eight minute pace, which now would be a really hard run. So I had to just reset and go, okay, I'm starting from scratch. I have to earn and build. And it just, it takes so much longer than I thought. And then people think in general, um, after, you know, after four years of training, I ran a half on my own in 2020, all the races shut down and I went out and ran my own half marathon. And after finishing that one, I went, okay, I feel like I'm finally beginning to learn something about my body and, and feel good running this distance after four consistent years of training. I finished that half marathon about this, you know, faster than I did in 2016 and felt so good. I went and ran the next day. I felt fine. And, and I would have, I would have not thought it would take that long. I would have said, oh yeah, I could do that in a year, maybe two. Yeah. And, and the fact, you know, the fascinating part is um, when you started, you thought you were old, right? You know, hitting thirties and you were old and here you are fast forward, maybe what, seven or eight years down the line. Mm-hmm. You, you you're feeling better. You're running faster, <laughs> you know. Uh, so it's kind of ironical that we we uh, you know we commonly say that we are old, but essentially <laughs> what it means is that you know take care of yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I I don't feel any older, and if anything, younger than I did, and have such more awareness and. Um, I don't want to say mastery because that sounds like I've figured something out, but at least a an awareness and sense of my body and where the strengths and weaknesses are. And when now when I get a little tweak or a little bit of a shade of pain somewhere, I know what's going on. And I go, oh, there's that. Okay, that's that lateral. That's my knee. That's gonna, that's my IT band. That's my and I can trace that up to where the source probably is, given how given all these years of pinpointing and I go, Oh, okay. Yeah. I need to strengthen this. I need to roll out that it's too tight. I need to hold off on speed work for a couple of weeks and focus on the basics. And then I'll come back and try again. Terrific. Uh, that, that's, that's, that's so much, so much gold in, in what you just shared. Right. Because, mm. uh, we talk about it, uh, but I, and I think, um, what you're just sharing really points to how of it, I mean, we talk about mindful running and we talk about listen to your body. Mm. But I think it's almost like, okay, what does that mean, right? Um, and, and I think what you just shared is what it means, right? Mm. Which is um, just being present when you're running to all those little uh, feelings, for a lack of a better word, um, mm-hmm. in your body. And you're constantly kind of body sensing and looking at any little niggles and you you're not you're one getting present to it the mm. other is you know then you can respond to it 
um, versus mindless running, which is, you know, maybe you're listening to some loud music. You don't know what's going on. You're just running like a machine. Mm. And and what it causes is all those injuries. And I don't even know if it co- it's good for you in, in, in the long run. So that's so much gold in, in what you just shared. And, you know, really, what is mindful running? What is conscious running? That's what's what that's what he just described, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And there there are so many things I discovered are invisible about running that I had to make visible with uh by learning about it and practicing it. Like one is cadence, the number of steps that you take per minute, mm. how quickly your your stride is, how quickly your foot falls. Mm. That was something I hadn't considered, had not ever measured and was an invisible piece in in what was probably causing some of my pain and injury and discovered my cadence is naturally slow and increasing it makes me much more efficient it activates more uh, of the muscles that need to be activated when I'm running it reduces the pounding and the toll on my legs just that one thing which was completely I was blind to Fixing that has fixed a ton of other issues, um, and and there's others like that where where just without awareness of it, we have no opportunity to change it or to figure out the source of a problem. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, yeah, cadence is uh, such a powerful, powerful tool, and again, powerful mm-hmm. um, metric. Of, and you know, but again, like you said. Is really coming back to being present because I've I've uh, practiced increasing my cadence. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, by by default, my cadence tends to be you know in the one sixty range, and um, mm-hmm. I, I've been trying to get to the one seventy to one eighty range, and it's an it's a very conscious effort. It it doesn't come naturally because mm-hmm. I'm about close to six feet as well, especially because we probably are longer legs. Yeah. It's very difficult to get to that 170, 180 range. Yes, and um, it does take it does take some amount of conscious uh, practice. But mm-hmm. you're you're right. You know, it it just makes it a lot more uh, experientially. It's so much funner to to be running mm-hmm. and and so much more less effort. Right. Yeah, that's what I felt. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it do, it feels more like I'm in control and connected to the ground. And mm. like, I'm not, I'm not bouncing and pounding. I'm like, like skipping, like uh, yeah. floating over the ground is the sense. Yeah. And yeah, it really yeah. takes, it really takes a conscious effort and training to increase that cadence. And um, I put together like a 15 page workbook to, to give to people to take the running course that I created. And like, that was the shortest that I could make it is like a step-by-step process to one, how do you find out what your cadence is? What's the ideal? Why is that ideal? And then step-by-step how to train your body to find the new comfort level so that it's automatic. And it takes time. It's another like patience exercise. What about uh, use of power as a metric uh, versus, you know, uh, like heart rate, for example? And uh, seems like it's a new, it's a new thing among running. Mm-hmm. Um, so, talk to us a little bit about that. So, how does running? I mean, what is power in the context of running? 
Yeah. So it's an absolute measure of the amount of force that you're putting into the ground to propel you forward. So it's mm. useful in a few different ways. One, it changes when you're going up and down hills quickly. So you can look right away and say, okay, I'm on a, I'm on this hill. I don't know what percent grade this hill is because I don't have a, I don't have a, you know, compasses with me or a way to measure mm. that, but I can look and see, okay, I'm outputting 280 Watts of power as I go up this hill. And that tells me how much energy I'm expending in an absolute sense. Mm. So heart rate can lag behind effort by several seconds. So you can begin running up a hill and your heart doesn't respond uh, un un until you're halfway up that hill. Mm. But power will respond right away. Um, the other thing it's useful for is measuring improvements in form. So if I can run a 5K at an average of 300 watts and run it at 20 minutes and 30 seconds, and then the next time I run the same 5K on the same course, and I run the same 300 watts, but my time is now 1930, I know that I've gotten more efficient. I've my stride has become, um, I've become better at propelling myself through space with less energy. So it's a way yep. to measure long-term. It's a way to, in the moment, to see and gauge how much energy am I expending right now. Um, mm. And a way that I've used it is in managing a pace during a race, especially a hilly course. Like uh, the Boston Half Marathon is quite a hilly course. It goes right through my neighborhood in Jamaica Plain, um, down to Brookline, back up through Jamaica Plain and into um, Dorchester. And mm -hmm. it's just filled with hills. And a way that I've, power has helped me to manage that is as I'm going up a hill, I cannot overdo and waste energy. And as I'm coming down a hill, I can make sure and use the energy of that downhill to uh, most efficiently keep moving. I think a mistake a lot of runners make, especially in a race context, is burning themselves trying to keep the same pace as they run up a hill because they think, okay, to hit my goal, I've got to run eight minute flat pace. So as I'm mm -hmm. going up this hill, I got to keep eight minutes flat. And they push, push, push up that hill, burning a ton of energy. And if they were, if they had a measure, an absolute measure of energy they're expending, which is watts, wattage of power, they could look and see, oh, I'm burning. This is way above my target. I'm going to burn my legs out before, you know, before I hit the finish line. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Wow, that's amazing. So, so how do you measure uh, what? what? Uh, is there some device that you have to yes. buy, or how does it yeah, work? Yeah, it's a little foot pod that goes on the mm -hmm. shoe. It weighs a few grams, and it connects wirelessly with the phone or with a watch. And it's there's some algorithm that it's it's an accelerometer that's measuring how your foot is moving through space, and hmm. it has a tiny um, wind sensor on it so it can sense when there's a headwind that's pushing you backwards or there's a tailwind pushing you forward that sensor can read that do a calculation and measure like okay that headwind is costing you 20 watts hmm. per second as you're running forward and it will adjust and you can see like oh that headwind is stronger than i thought i'd better i better pull back a little bit so i don't flame out Wow, that's amazing. It is. 
<clears throat> so, and, and you, you also talked about um, your, your coaching, right? Uh, you, mm-hmm. You've, you've uh, pivoted into po- coaching and how, how, when was that? How long did you get into, uh, how long back did you get into coaching? Um, about a year and a half, two years ago, uh, mm. I got really seriously into it when I took a year off of teaching, when everyone went to at-home teaching and at-home working and quarantined in 2020, I uh, took that opportunity to start something I've been thinking about for a long time, which was helping runners, especially former runners like myself, who used to be really active, used to had a great running career in high school or college or as young people. And then, you know, life gets in the way, people get uh, busy, they get deconditioned, their bodies change, and then they, they want to run again. We want to try again mm-hmm. in our 30s, 40s, 50s, beyond. And yeah. people that I have talked to around my age find, have found it just as hard as I have trying mm-hmm. to get back into it and have found all of those mental barriers of, you know, being ashamed to be seen running 10 and a half minutes a mile when <laughs> they used to be quick and yeah. feeling like it's not even worth it to go out for a two mile run. Why would I even put my running shoes on and my clothes on for that little? It's not worth it. Really helping people adjust those uh, perspectives and those mm-hmm. beliefs and change to like, no, we got to start from the bottom mm-hmm. and we build and it's going to take time, but it's worth it. That's awesome. So do you kind of offer that as a uh, group program or do you do it more of one-on-one uh, for people? You know, I started one-on-one and I found that it, it just wasn't as effective as having mm-hmm. people work together and be in mm-hmm. a group. And, you know, as an educator, it's it's like the difference between trying to coach and help each individual student one-on-one rather than putting them in groups and having them collaborate and talk and solve problems and learn from each other, which is just magic. If I can have every student interacting with another student or a small group and then discussing with each other, they'll learn so much more than they will just listening to me talk. So I find the same is true with group programs. So I've completely switched to working with groups and having a small group. Right now I have five in the program that are going through it together. And, you know, we have a WhatsApp text group where everyone's texting what their run is that day. And we're checking on each other and seeing, hey, I'm going out. Anybody want to come with me this weekend and encouraging each other? And that's just that's so, so valuable. Um, And I've designed it as a program, as a teacher. I couldn't help myself and wrote a curriculum. So it's 12 (laughs) weeks long. And there are different topics and different challenges and different lessons every week. Um, so people will, you know, this week is recovery and we're talking about sleep. Mm. So we're talking like, what are the basics of recovery before you go out and buy, you know, an $800, um, compression sleeve for your leg? What are, what are the things that account for most of our recovery? And that's nutrition and sleep. Mm. So we start with those. So, uh, you hit, you hit a very important point, right? Um, uh, nutrition and sleep. So, mm-hmm. with regard to sleep, um, mm. uh, are you someone who is also a proponent of measuring sleep? Like, uh, you know, because most of us just, you know, just go to sleep and we get wake up. We don't know whether we had good quality sleep or not. Uh, so, uh, you know, and of late, I've seen that there are ways to hack, you know, into deep sleeps, higher levels of deep sleep. So, I've been using my 
phone to do that, for example. And I'm quite amazed with how much lack of deep sleep I actually get. Mm. Yeah, it, it's actually been fascinating. So uh, I've been doing this for at least uh, two or three months now. And I diligently put on my Apple Watch uh, and go to sleep. I never used to do that before. I, found, I used to find it uh, you know, annoying, but now I do it. But I see the value in it. Hmm. I'm beginning to see a pattern on, on two key metrics, right? One is how many uh, minutes of deep sleep I got in, in the in the total number of hours of sleep. So we all know how many hours we slept. We you know that's easy to calculate, right? But say six hours or seven hours or eight hours. But what I found is that the amount of deep sleep per session is not the same on all days for me. Hmm. Uh, there are days that I've slept like the, I think the longest deep sleep I've ever had is two hours. That's the best. And um, and the worst is usually 15 minutes. You know, there have been yeah. nights where I just got 15 minutes of deep sleep. And from what I read about what is deep sleep, it basically is a time in your sleep cycle where you're not moving at all. You're like completely semi-dead. Right? Yeah. You know, like you're, you're virtually semi-dead, right? Uh, no movement. It's a complete deep sleep. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what I've read is that that's when your body is recovering at its highest levels because it's mm-hmm. completely shut down except for your basic body functions that are on and so um so now i've been looking at what's the correlation between when is it that i'm getting deep sleep so one other thing that i'm doing is using some hacks like for example i do uh, at, at some nights i listen to certain types of sleep music like brown mm-hmm. noise or uh, uh, ocean sounds or uh, rivers flowing or thunder and lightning. There are certain kinds of sounds I put on. In about five to six minutes, I'm off. And those nights I've seen my deep sleeps are better because I, mm. I, I've hit the ground, hit the ground into uh, sleep right away, you know, because my brain's is just come, all the activities in the brain just comes down to a low uh, from the day's activity. Um, the other thing I've been looking at is heart rate, you know, rested heart rate. There are mm-hmm. nights when you know, my heart rate is a little higher. There are nights when it's really low. And that's another measure of, okay, how rested my body was or how rested my, in those different things. So it's fascinating. I have no conclusions, uh, you know, uh, but I'm making an observation. But I've seen that uh, the nights where I've had a combination of low heart rate and at least one or one hour of deep sleep, you know, I'm mentally fresh the next day, mm. um, much, much, much more fresher. So just a way of measuring another aspect of health, mm. um, you know, so uh, I find it fascinating. The other thing is, of course, people talk about um, supplementation for deep sleep. Uh, and and, and by, all, by no means I'm suggesting melatonin or anything like that. Because mm-hmm. That's very really controversial. But there are natural uh, herbal, uh, you know, supplementation you can get. Uh, which, mm-hmm. uh, which you know, we can go to uh, you know, places like Sprouts and you have tons of those. And that helps because you, boom, you know, it helps you get into a, a, a better circadian rhythm because mm. if you're not used to getting those deep sleeps, at least a couple of times if you do supplementation, you don't have to do it all the time, but maybe two or three days until you get your circadian rhythm. So those mm. are different things I've been playing around with. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think for for people that don't sleep well, I think it's really important to find do something different. Yeah. If they keep doing the yeah. same thing, it's going to just keep going that way. And I really 
agree that trying as many natural things as you can before people yeah. go to either a medication, pharmaceuticals, or supplements yeah. um, is the first place to start. But you know, I have heard people that really have benefited from uh, valerian or from other sleep herbs yeah. that have really helped. And yeah, yeah passion flowers. I've seen great. passion flower listed in some of those. Mm. Yeah, if people if that works for people, really encourage them to do it. It's it's worth it's worth investigating and find out finding out what works for each person because sleep is the other um, the other thing is uh, alcohol and sleep, right? Mm. Uh, uh, contrary to popular belief, when you drink alcohol, your sleep is not that deep. <laughs> your, right, your heart rate is higher uh, yeah. in the night. Yeah. that's another thing I've seen. So, anyways, that's a topic by itself and uh, mm -hmm. but but glad you are focused on that and the other thing is nutrition that you mentioned you meant you mentioned nutrition so is that is there like a you know particular uh, a, you know point of view you have on nutrition yeah, i start again with really basics and what i recommend and i tell tell people to do and give some strategies for is make as much of your own food as you can hmm. if you're making your own food in your own kitchen and you are watching what goes into it and it's good, real food, then you're on your way. Um, yeah. I think, you know, among uh, the bodybuilding and uh, weightlifting community, there's a lot of talk about protein and supplementation and, and you know, taking 120, 150 grams of protein a day. I don't think that's as essential for runners, mm -hmm. but we need all of the macronutrients in the right balance and we need uh, all of the essential amino acids and all of the micronutrients to repair and recover muscle, to build mitochondria, to build our capillaries, like all of the things happen that happen when our aerobic system is developing. Those yep. you really need those consistently every day for months and months in a row. Yeah, yeah, yep, absolutely. Great. So, um, so that's, that's fantastic, Colin. Uh, so what's next? Oh, on your journey? Well, let's see. Um, I'm getting back into training now after a little time off and looking at a half marathon in June. Hmm. So that's going to give me some information about where my body is at, where my training is, both my time and how I feel afterward. Mm -hmm. Those are my two big indications. If I feel like I could get up the next day and do a quick recovery run, then I'm, I'm all set. But if I need two yeah. weeks off, that tells me something else. Then I'm looking at a marathon in the fall. And mm. I'm going to try to um, try to hit my personal record, but really just have a stable and solid finish. Mm. Feel good. Be healthy. That's the first priority. Which one? Have you signed up for it already? I haven't. I'm looking at a couple around here in Boston. Um, mm. I'm looking at the Cape Cod marathon in the fall, which is nice and flat. The Marine Corps is also nice and flat. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think there's one in Framingham. Terrific. Uh, hey, that was, uh, uh, that was a great conversation, Colin. Um, took away some, some pretty cool ideas that, that you've been working on. And uh, so definitely wish you continued success as a coach and hope your tribe grows and uh, also good you know good luck with your con continued 
pursuit on getting faster, uh, fitter, and healthier on your running journey as well. Um, so, uh, you know, coming to, you know, kind of a wrap up here, um, I know uh, we budgeted some amount of time. I have five more minutes, I think. Uh, I do do mm-hmm. a fun Q&A round with my guests. You, uh, Great. you ready for that? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. The first thing I have is, you know, we all we all love to run. We are all health health freaks, as everybody thinks. At least people who think who are not runners who looks at runners look at runners think they're all health freaks. Uh-huh. Uh, but we have our, you know, we have our weaknesses. My first one: What's your favorite junk food? Oh, um, salt and pepper potato chips—the kind with the deep ruffles, and wrinkles, and yeah. real crunchy. Oh, I have to buy the small bags of those because if I buy the big one, I'll eat all of them. <laughs> yes, yes, that's nice. Yeah, I love I love chips too. I love I love mm. to eat chips with all with all my meals. Yes, <laughs> the salt. All right. Mm. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite running gadget? Um, I'd say my power meter. Mm. The little thing that clips on my shoe. Yep, the, I love the, it. I use the latest... it every run. Well, what's the brand? Uh, uh, it's called Stride. S T R Y D. Stride. Stride. Uh-huh. Stride. Yeah. Although they didn't sponsor the show, but still. No. <laughs> uh, do you listen to music while you run, or? Um, I often will listen to a podcast or an audiobook and get mm. be listening to a story. Uh, is something I really like. Occasionally music, but more often okay. a book. So a, a book that inspires, inspired you or inspires you? Mm. Um, right now, I'm reading a book called Binti, which is mm. an African futurism uh, science fiction book mm. that uh, is just fascinating. It's really unique and interesting. Wow. So I love to get into a whole science fiction world when mm. I'm running. Oh, nice. Well, I grew up uh, reading uh, Isaac Asimov. I don't know if you, uh, uh, if you like Asimov, but uh, yes. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. The last one I have as a question is if you made a movie of your life, mm. what genre would you place it in and uh, who would you hire to play your character? Oh boy. Um, the genre, boy, it'd have to be a drama with all the ups mm. and downs and all of the, <laughs> all of the wildness of injury and health. And, you know, just when I think it's going well, uh, yeah. um, and boy, who would play me? I don't know. Orlando Bloom. Orlando Bloom. Okay. Yeah. I haven't seen him around in a while though. <laughs> no, I don't know where he is. He's, know, right? I bet he's working on something big. Yeah. All right, Orlando. Script on your way. You, you, better, you better get ready. <laughs> get fit. <laughs> yeah, start running. Terrific. Hey, you did well. Learned a few more things uh, about you in the process. Um, coming to a wrap-up here, I want to give you the last, uh, any last final message to our audience. Great message. All right, uh, Colin. Thank you for your time today. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Learned a lot in the process. Uh, wish you all the best, and let you know. I let you go and enjoy the rest of the day. 